You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Good afternoon. Welcome to Conversations and Meditations. I'm your host, Virgil Varix, and today is July 27, 2019. All right, all right. So let's get right into the show. Today is part 2A of, uh, you know, a total series we did. Uh, we did this a few weeks ago, a show on what is the left and right. Last time we had D, Danny, Matt, Sudo, and uh, myself, and we talked about what the left and right is and what it is in the origins, you know, how it connects to... Uh, their philosophical, you know, points of views, and you know, how do they connect in, torn, in terms of governing? Um, but today, you know, I I decided to kind of, you know, you heard me say two A, because I wanted to bring the people who are, you know, more so on the right, and have them talk and have a discussion about, you know, the cultural aspects and social aspects and moral foundations of the right and left. And then next time, I'll bring on uh, Sudo and Danny to come and discuss whether or not uh, they see it differently. And I think that will probably be better because it will allow us to kind of get a full perspective on everything from both the left and uh, people who identify left and right. So I think uh, that would be pretty good. So first I want to welcome my guests, uh, D and and Matt. How are you? (laughs) Good. How are you doing? And I'm doing well. Good. It's good to hear. All right, cool. So um, I guess the first thing I want to start off with is um, a quote from The Righteous Mind, uh, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion, a book by Jonathan Haidt. So the quote goes, morality binds and blinds. It binds us to ideological teams that fight each other as though the fate of the world depended on our side winning each battle. It blinds us to the fact that each team is composed of good people who have something important to say. So I think, you know, the major thing I kind of uh, wanted to focus today, like I mentioned, you know, in my intro, guys, is, you know, the cultural, moral, social, psychological, and uh, eventually we'll, we'll end on the economic differences and found, you know, basically economic foundations of the left and right. So I guess for me, I think it's it's important to discuss this stuff uh, other than you know, the philosophical foundations and the origins because I do think that, you know, the left and right are more so than just politics. Politics isn't everything of life. And I, uh, I'm i one of the people who, you know, believe that, you know, f- politics is just an aspect of my life. It isn't, you know, everything's political. I'm not one of those people. But I will say that, you know, when you discuss the cultural and, you know, social implications of what the left and right believe and the moral implications, um, you can kind of better understand each other psychologically, I would say. And to the point where you're able to empathize with other people who might be on the other side, understand where they're coming from, and then actually address their points respectfully, 
without the ability to um, mischaracterize or demonize, which tends to happen a lot in these type of discussions. So, Matt, why do you think it's important to talk about you know the cultural, social, moral, and psychological aspects of the left and right? For you, well, focusing on the right today, yeah, I think it's important because, well, it's important to me because. Even though I don't necessarily identify one way or the other mm-hmm. completely, I definitely yeah. lean more right than yeah. left. Yeah. Um, and just in ge- in a general sense, when you do consider both sides, it's important because, uh, I mean, the country we live in, the mm-hmm. world we live in is pretty divided right now. I agree. Um, the left and the right aren't really seeing eye to eye. I'm pretty much anything, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll I go there. And so before they can start to see eye to eye, there has to be some common ground that mm-hmm. they each find together. And you think that's possible? Common ground is possible. It's going to be hard. Okay. So it is possible but very difficult. Okay, okay. Uh, D, what do you think about that? Why do you think it's important to discuss the moral, psychological, and ethical foundations of the left and right? Just to reiterate uh, – <clears throat> excuse me. Just to reiterate what we talked about on the last episode, mm-hmm. um, we we talked about the importance of empathy and just okay. understanding where everyone's coming from. And yes. that, uh you just said it yourself that no one's being mischaracterized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's also I, I feel like it's important to talk about it because then you know, we, I think we talked about this a little bit last episode as well. It's yeah. just getting the definitions out in the open. Yes, figuring out where we're really coming from, making sure that nothing's really mischaracterized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. It's the why, the why I think for having the conversation is the easy part. Okay, I, I don't think that's it's the how. It's the how, and not only that, it's. Uh, I think you asked a good question. Like, can they change? Can we find? Can we find common, common ground? ground actually, yeah. is what you asked. I think the common ground exists. The question is, which side is willing to concede certain points? Certain points. Yeah, and and the thing for me, and like we discussed last time, we we, we briefly talked about. Um, political spectrum test and how, you know, it might not be a perfect way of looking at politics, but it is a way of looking at politics. And I, I think my point, you know, today, um, and I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make the exact same point, you know, when I, when I sit with, uh, Sudo and Danny is that, you know, if you're left or right economically, that's one thing. But what's really important, I guess the essential thing for me, what's really important about all this is whether you're not, whether or, whether or not you, you're, you know, an authoritarian or a libertarian down, you know, up and down on the axis versus, cause I could care. I mean, right now I could care about what you think about tax rates and all this other stuff. It's how much do you think the government should be involved in our lives and how much, you know, force should the government be putting upon other people? So regardless of, you know, political, uh, or I mean, regardless of economic or social stuff, I think, you know, that's the major thing that I'm trying to put across throughout this, you know, three-part discussion is that you can be left and right and those are fantastic, perfect things, but for your own self. But, you know, I, I do think – and I do think it's important to make sure and maintain that what really matters, I guess, culturally and socially, what, what will happen in the country, what will happen outside the country based on, you know, the politics here is whether or not you believe that government should be putting force upon people or should be removing force against people. So I think that's where that goes for me. Um, would you guys also, con- would you guys also consider that, you know, yes, the left and right understanding them is important, but I guess when it comes to the political spectrum, the authoritarian and libertarian axis is probably a more, that's where I think the common ground can be reached. 
I will say I think that the left-right paradigm is probably like the least important it's ever been. Okay. Just because we're so globalized now. Okay. There are issues facing the entire world that are outside of party politics. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And so it's still important to keep in keep the left and the right in mind. But it, you can't just focus on I'm left. I believe in everything the left does. I'm right. I believe in everything the right does because you lose sight of the bigger picture. I would agree with you there. So, D, do you think that um, when it comes to common ground, that could perhaps be the common ground? Is about how much force the government puts upon. So, I I do think that left and right libertarians um, should be coming together um, uh, in in union for certain things. You know, I had uh, Misha on and and uh, Matt talking about foreign policy, and one thing I try to put there. Uh, one of the ideas is that, you know, people like himself who, who considers himself a socialist and people like myself who I consider myself a libertarian should be joining together to fight, you know, the establishment foreign policy because we do have an agreement there. So um, foreign policy is one example. But I do think, you know, I think that stems from how much force should be just you know, used outside of the country. Now, do you think that there can be other things that we can f- find common ground or is that tougher? In terms of their ideology, I think so. Yeah, I mean, okay. I'm sure an anti-establishment point of view. Why not? Okay. But the problem is, on certain certain perspectives or opinions, yes, you know, how are you going to implement those things? Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so on a, from a libertarian point of view, it's it's up to the individual, right? Yes, there, yes. There's no Primarily. there's no need for some outside force. So yes, it's, it's the authoritarian spectrum versus libertarian spectrum. Obviously, you know, you're libertarian. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't need any interference. Yes. But for other people who come from, let's say, let's take that that socialist example. Mm-hmm. I mean, how will you implement those policies yeah. if not everyone is on board and requires gotcha. cooperation? Gotcha. So it kind of it becomes sometimes you you require you, you could see even though. They say or certain ideas want cooperation gotcha. through volu- volunteering. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. So would, would you say the devil's in the details, right? Sure. Okay. I, I think I think that's – Or, really or just certain things point. are just irreconcilable with – Okay. Some, I would agree. Certain parts of the spectrum. I agree. Yeah, I would say that there are certain things on the spectrum that is in, irreconcilable and are, are very, very at odds with each other. So um, – before we kind of get into like the meat of the discussion, I, I do briefly want to, <coughs> excuse me, get into um, something I mentioned. You know, I, I, the first thing I mentioned today in terms of quotations was The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And that book is basically, uh, you know, the whole idea of its, uh, the concept of uh, the moral foundations theory. And I'm going to give, you know, a pretty, br- a pretty brief description of the moral foundations theory and kind of give you, um, my take on it and, you know, I'll see what you guys think of it and see if we can apply it in today's conversation because the book's subtitle is, you know, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. And I, I do think it's important to kind of take some insights from there and see how we can apply it towards the political spectrum and towards, um, you know, understanding one another better. So um, the Moral Foundations Theory was created by a group of social and cultural psychologists to understand why morality varies so much across cultures yet still shows so many similarities and recurrent themes. In brief, the theory you know, proposes that there are several innate and universal available psychological systems uh, are the foundations of intuitive, eti- eth- intuitive ethics. Excuse me. Each culture that constructs virtues, uh, narratives, institutions on top of these foundations, thereby creating a unique morality we see around the world, 
conflicting with nations as well. Um, the five foundations uh, that uh, that there's best evidence that they've they've come up with is first the Care Harm Foundation. So that foundation is you know related to our long evolution as mammals with the attached systems and the ability to feel and dislike the pain of others. It also uh, underlines the virtue of kindness, gentleness, and nurturance. Um, the second is fairness and cheating. Uh, this foundation is you know related to the evolutionary process of reciprocal altruism. It generates ideas of justice, rights, and autonomy. Um, and in the original conception, fairness for them includes concerns about equality, which are more strongly endorsed by political liberals. However, they reformulated the, the, their theory in 2011 based on the new data, and they also emphasize fairness as proportionality, which is endorsed by everyone, but is more strongly endorsed by conservatives and even more so by libertarians. Um, the third foundation is loyalty and betrayal. This foundation is related to our long history as tribal creatures able to you know, form shifting uh, coalitions. It underlines virtues of patriotism, self-sacrifice for the group. It's an act of uh, anytime people feel that, you know, one for all and all for one, you know, to quote um, the Three Musketeers. And the fourth foundation is authority subversion. This foundation was shaped by our long primate history of hierarchical social inter interactions. It underlines virtues of leadership and fellowship. Uh, fo excuse me, followership, including uh, difference to legitimate authority and respect for traditions. Um, five, sanctity and degradation. This foundation was shaped by the psychology of disgust and contamination. It underlines religious notions of striving to live in an elevated, less carnal, more noble way. It underlines the widespread idea that the body is a temple which can be you know, desecrated by immoral activities and contaminants, uh, an idea which is not unique to one particular religious tradition, but, you know, to a lot of them. Um, so there's a, there's another candidate that they did put into uh, this theory, uh, primarily because a lot of libertarians started going on yourmorals.org and, you know, as, you know, answering these questions. And that's the sixth foundation, which is liberty and oppression. And, you know, through this foundation, you know, is about the feelings of reactance and resentment to people, uh, by people feel toward, to, feeling towards uh, who dominate them and restrict their liberty. So its intuitions are often in tension with those of author, you know, authority foundations. Uh, the hatred of bullies and dominators motivates people to come together in solidarity to oppose or take down the oppressor. We report some preliminary work on the uh, potential foundations and you know, they have a paper talking about the psychology of libertarianism and liberty in general. But I guess you know that's kind of what moral foundations theory is. And I guess the way it you can kind of apply it to um, you know American culture and the, you know the culture we have, they seem to have found that you know liberals try to create a uh, morality relating primarily on the care harm foundation with additional support for the fairness, cheating, and liberty and oppression foundations. Conservatives, especially religious conservatives, use all six foundations, including loyalty and betrayal, authority and subversion, sanctity and degradation. Um, and I guess you could say libertarians on, on most ends of the political spectrum, they're primarily care about fairness and liberty. So that would be how you would kind of put together how this would apply to a general setting of conservatives, liberals and libertarians. Now – this is kind of interesting to me because you can kind of see where everybody is coming from morally. And, you know, it's like for instance, libertarians, I would say for the most part are against the, uh, against altruism, the ethical connotation of altruism by August Comte, 
who is a French philosopher uh, and the I believe he's French. Um, and the the definition of altruism is helping other people with the notion and idea that it will harm you. So doing doing things for other people at the expense of yourself. And libertarians would tend to reject altruism altogether. I mean, one of the most famous libertarians, Ayn Rand, viewed altruism as one of the main evils causing a lot of problems in the world, aka, you know, the communists and the Nazis, whatever. But if you take, you know, liberals on the other hand, liberals view altruism as the foundations of their morals. So when liberals tend to look at libertarians, what they see is an immoral human being. So you could see how some of these, you know, some of these moral foundations can cause, you know, to have a jump at one another on our politics. So, D, what do you what do you think of the moral foundations theory, I guess in general, but more so in in particular to our discussion of politics today? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so when you when you say, say if if I could just say the first please. thing that came to my mind when you were reading all that is yeah. the children's book of virtues, which okay. I had when I was a kid. It's okay. just full of like moralistic stories that yes. teach you how to be a good person. Kind yes, of. yes, exactly. And um, it's also funny that you say that liberals would focus on the one mostly, whereas conservatives focus on all of them. All six, yeah, pretty. I would probably say that I would focus on all of them. Yeah, okay. So yeah, you would, you would, tend, to, you would tend to see the moral foundations and kind of agree that all of them do play a – They're at least applicable. Applicable towards your 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 morals in, in a sense. Do you, do you think that those apply to your morals? I mean, in in terms in terms like to those characteristics. I know, like, yeah, I'd say so. I just uh, I think I probably I'm I'm much, he- I'm much heavier on point six. You know, liberty and oppression. I would agree with I that. Much much a, lot, a greater feeling of resistance for sure. And anyone Same. who's trying to imply on my my liberty, but of course, what I what I found interesting was just thinking about what you descri- described from Comte. Yeah, about, uh, altruism. So doing things for others mm-hmm. at the expense of yourself, mm-hmm. and you said that that's a sentiment really shared by the liberal cause. Yeah, I would say See, uh, that to me, I, I think, and I'm like, all right, you, that the, the that's the talk. Now, when it comes down to it, will they walk the walk? Well, it depends on what you're. It depends on who and what. Because the thing is, like, I mean, is it not human nature to take care of yourself first? I mean, d- I mean, when well, it comes think, to the expense of yourself, goes into soul. So that I kind of also had a problem with the definition of altruism that you were using. Okay, saying that it's to do good for someone else. Yeah, at like with the n- knowledge that it will cause yourself mm-hmm. harm. I don't think. When I think of altruism, that's not how I would put it. I would say doing good for others without regard to your own personal well-being. So not necessarily you're sure that it's going to be bad for you and you're so doing not living, good anyway. So you would disagree that – so because Comte's version is living for the sake of others. Yeah, I like that. OK, yeah. OK, cool. So that's when it – so yeah. So you would agree with that, with that definition of altruism? Yes. OK, cool. Now, would you would you agree with that definition of altruism? I would, but okay. I, I don't know if people actually uh, act that out. Okay, so a, a way that can be acted out in policy, let's make let's let's do that, mm-hmm. is um, the opening of the borders in Europe. That's that's an example of that. Uh, I guess that's a that's more of a recent example. Um, who did that and who's actually living by that though? Like who's actually uh, realizing or experiencing the consequences of that action? Well, I guess – Is it really the expense of the other, those who've written that into action? 
Well, I guess like you could make the argument that if you have an increase in population by 2 to 3 percent mm-hmm. in one year, it'll cause some type of destability within you know, the – Within the infrastructure of the government, sure. Granted, I think you know immigration should be open as much as possible, and that people should be able to transfer their labor and transfer their ideas and their hopes and wants across borders without you know that much you know stoppage. I mean, I'm pretty uh, much open. Border. I think it should be up to the the country itself. See, you can have closed borders if you want. See, I think that's another left wing, left and right wing, ring, left and right wing idea. Definitely. Sometimes you know veneration of the outsider is good, and I think you know the left tends to have a veneration of the outsider. But um, you want to let people in your society because they can add value. You know, sometimes that can also be bad. You know, take the tra- you know take the, the the traditional case of the Trojan horse. As even just you know like what I mean? back in the day when trade routes were first getting started and borders started becoming more open, it was all about the information that was crossing the borders. Before there was no way to hear about what was going on. True. You know, hundreds or thousands of miles away. Well, yeah, it would take a but long. But as time. the trade routes developed, yes. as the the cities became more connected. Connected. You had spies. You had messengers. You know the information true, true. got but, around. But the thing is, you also got. But you also got which science helped, to go which around. helped advance society. Society, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you there. But like, so I would say these divides, like you know, bring up immigration as an example, and it was done primarily by I would say the governments, uh, left wing governments within mm-hmm. the Europe. I mean, the EU is primarily I would say le- on the left, right? Um, but I would say that you know these divides are not. And one side inherently good or one side inherently bad. They're just situations where the principles would apply and one wouldn't. So I guess another way to look at it is, um, huh? I'm not trying to think of it because I do think the whole, you know, veneration of the, it's one left and right wing distinction culturally, veneration of the outsider versus, you know, hey, you know, the whole Reagan thing, trust but verify. Sure. You know what I mean? It's an, it's an audit thing too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So I do think that is a that is a that is a pretty big difference when it comes to the left and right. Um, on, what I meant by that, that is, what do you is, mean? Is, yeah, go, please. What I meant down. by that is are, are the people who who are actually advocating for altruistic policy actually in the trenches, realizing the consequences or or enacting what they're advocating so i would say said, it's a little bit of both what would bernie sanders and aoc be examples of yeah, that sure i mean I, is there is there a certain degree of hypocrisy right. when it comes yeah, to altruism I'd, I'd say absolutely well i, I think when in when a lot discuss, of cases when you discuss altruism uh politically at least well political altruism is in a lot of ways used to signal to a group of people that were on your side well, to I, get their vote primarily i mean politicians um i'm trying to remember the quote I think it's it's a Thomas Solko talking about you know politicians they care about three things and number one is getting elected and number two is getting reelected and number three which is our worries is somewhere down you know <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm extremely cynical about politics there but I, I would say that um, that people who espouse altruistic so people who don't have power let's mm-hmm. just take the average American who thinks that. Politics and policy should be guided through guided guided by altruism. Um, I, I would think that the, the average the average American that does believe that altruism should be the main foundations of our politics would would not necessarily. I don't know if they would sacrifice mm-hmm. themselves, but I guess most people are are very comfortable saying, "Yeah, that's good at a, at a distance." Right. You know, like uh, it's considered noble. I, I would say that on both sides. I mean, I would say there's a lot of people on the right who and the thing is, like, when we talk about the right, 
there's uh, we talked about that last time how the right is extremely segmented and there's an authoritarian right there's a libertarian right there's an authoritarian left and there's a libertarian left and on you know on those spectrums the far right and the far left are you know are pretty much in terms of tactics are pretty much the same um but i would say one thing i can take from the so, you know the, the moral foundations theory and kind of continue to add to our discussion here is when because when when you look at when you when you look at somebody who is a conservative and that they do care about loyalty and betrayal and authority and subversion and sanctity and degradation you know it, i do, i do think it makes it easier for us to have a discussion but i don't think it makes it easier for us to um i th- i think it can make it easier for us to empathize but on most on most terms it doesn't make it easier to empathize what it can do some of this knowledge can it can allow people to kind of like um mind read others so you're saying just taking each of these foundations and applying them to each individual that we come across exactly seeing where they may land on may, yes and i think i think it's i think it's essential to do that because, See, go I, ahead. I would almost say that i would have trouble doing that myself just because a lot of these seem so universal to me okay that's a fair point yeah it's a, it's a very fair point i definitely agree with you there although six is pretty distinct yeah well but if you the six would be <clears throat> Like if you look at the actual moralfoundations.org, it says one through five and then – Six was added We on think there are several other very good yes. candidates for foundationhood, especially six. Yeah. So it's like just underneath yes. actually right. being one of the core. Yes. They, they, the, the, the moral foundations thing was founded in 2008 and in 2011, they added the Liberty Foundation on because a lot more libertarians were – you know, self-described libertarians were were not necessarily being shown accurately. They were coming out as it was. There was a big discrepancy in the way they were showing their data. Um, so one of the things I I do think that is interesting, but I would say is um not really known to a lot of people, but I think is is really important. So I, earlier in this podcast history, I did. A review of Thomas Sowell's book, um, Conflict of Visions. And, you know, everybody can go back and look at the show and, and kind of get an understanding of it, but I'll basically give a pretty brief, uh, description. So, um, and this, I can, you can kind of apply this to the left and right in a way, but I think you can also apply this to the authoritarian and authoritarian left and right, uh, respectively. So Sowell said that for people out there, there's two visions that they have of humanity. One vision is, and again, uh, just to clarify, this conflict of visions was used by the Moral Foundations team, you know, to find out their, some of their evidence. They use this as a background, philosophical background for some of their stuff. And Dr. Steven Pinker also used a lot of this stuff in the blank slate. So there is a, there is a connection to other thinkers out there who are not necessarily, uh, you know, in terms of politics and agreements with soul. But Sol made made the statement that there is the unconstrained or utopian vision of mankind or humankind, and then there's the constrained, tragic vision of uh, mankind. Um, and so one on on one hand, the unconstrained sees uh, our nature as malle- malleable and perfectible. On the other hand, uh, they see nature as flawed and selfish and fixed. So, and then again. On the other hand, one side believes that society should be led by the strongest and most capable among us under the right, right institutions. And the other believes that people should be restrained in what they should be able to do and what they shouldn't. Um, believes that political leaders to be some, uh, 
political leaders to be of the same flawed, selfish, fixed nature as everyone else, thus the importance of separation of powers, you know, constitution, et cetera, like that. So I guess you can kind of, you know, briefly look at the unconstrained and, you know, and constrained vision of mankind and kind of apply that to um, how people view, people on the right might view uh, human nature and people on the left might view human nature. Now, granted, authoritarian right so like take you know uh, fascists and nazis they would be classified in a little bit of both primarily more so in the utopian vision of man and the same thing for the for the communist party and the, you know the, the ussr right. they would be classified a little bit of both but more so within the utopian version of man because you know that's kind of how far left and far right politics tends to kind of be put on that but right. what do you guys think of you know, some of the stuff and I, I did put a chart here for, uh, you know, for us to see, but I will put this on the show notes for everyone else to see. But I guess some of the basic foundations of this stuff, do you guys think that this might be a, the best way for us to understand one another other than because the thing is, like, we have the authoritarian and libertarian axis. We have the economic left and right axis. But I do think adding something like this into the mix will also help kind of you know, in conjunction with moral foundations can also, you know, give us a better understanding of one another insofar as the ability to actively have a discussion. So do you think the left and right can use something like this to communicate better? I think this, this is a great standalone uh, as opposed yeah. to just left and right. This okay. Is, yeah, this I would perfect... agree for human nature. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. Excellent. I would agree. hundred percent. But do you think that the human, do you think that the left and right do have different interpretations of human nature? Would you guys agree with that with that assumption, or do you think that the left and right has a an agreement in human nature? So one one being that human nature is fixed, and the other one being that human nature primarily well one's primarily that it's fixed, and the other one is primarily that it's socially constructed. So do you, that's my interpretation, and that's kind of what I've heard from other people. I could definitely writers. see left and right like leaning one way or the other. Okay, but I think it's also probably like on an individualistic level. I would like agree. It would vary person to person. Definitely agree. With yes, that. yes. Yeah. And D, what do you think? I, I think the same thing. I mean, I've seen speaking with all my conversations and the people that I know throughout my entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the con the. The perspectives mm-hmm. are different from, from, you know, the unconstrained utopian vision of man. I mean, left and right, they both kind of share that, but the constrained tragic vision of man, I think from my point of view, it's, it should be saying it's not tragic. It, it just, it is what it is. Well, Stephen Pinker calls it the tragic v- vision. Yeah. That's Pinker's description of it. It's called the constrained by soul. Right. Pinker refers to it as tragic because I think, uh, it's tragic in a sense that I guess you're using the Greek term that it's not fatalistic, but there's little you can do to to change sure. certain that it's innate that it's gonna always nature, stay the same. The human, yeah. So, like for instance, a description that you know Sowell brings uh, between the unconstrained and constrained vision is that one side sees, sees war. So the I mean the unconstrained sees seeks to explain the causes of war, poverty, and crime. The um, constrained vision sees war, poverty, and crime as having been the norm throughout human history due to, you know, humans' flawed, selfish, and fixed nature and entrusted, you know, instead seeks to explain the causes of peace, wealth, law, and order, and morality. So I would say that, you know, the people on the, on the, on the unconstrained vision 
sees war, poverty, and crime as an exception, not the rule. And the people who are on the constrained vision see war, poverty, and crime as the rule, not the exception. See, I kind of fall somewhere in the middle see, on and this that's, one and that's too, fine, yeah. yeah. Uh, like war, poverty, and crime has been the norm. Yes. But I also don't – I can't say for certain that that's fixed into human nature. Just because it's always been that way doesn't mean the potential for change isn't there. Well, hold on. We can, we can, kind, of, we can kind of break this down a little bit. Hum- humans are really advanced primates. If you want to break it down to like the the you know the mo- the most basal form of what we actually are, we're really advanced simians. And what we know about primates is we look. So take take our two ancestors, take the chimpanzees, okay, and take the bonobo apes. Those are our two. I mean, you can we can look at our genealogy and and, and you know deduce that we're ninety six, ninety seven percent, maybe even ninety eight percent, pretty similar with 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 those uh, with those uh, types of species. So you look at the bonobo's personality. It's all love. There's little to no fighting. If there is fighting, it's usually fixed with sex and, you know, and hugging and all this other in play. And, you know, there's a lot of that. And look at chimps and they legit have wars against each other. I mean, there's some horrific videos of chimps, you know, doing war crimes pretty much. And you watch it and they all gang up against another chimp. I mean, it's very, you look at it, you're like, oh my God, that looks like us. You know what I mean? So. I would say that I'm coming from that point of view, the evolutionary point of view, because I do think, you know, there is some leftover monkey shit within our within our within our behaviors and patterns in our DNA. With, even. Well, of course. Yeah, we're primary. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, I kind of see that kind of being a connection to that, the more con- the constrained vision, because I would say that since those things have been a part of humanity since the beginning, I, it's not to say that we will get to a point in position in history and time that war does war- where there's a utopia. Well, no. See, I I would say there would never be a utopia. I would but make just, that. Argument. You mean trending towards that? Trending direction. towards yeah, trending towards utopia. Because I think the idea of a utopia is flawed because human wants and human wishes and needs always grow. No matter how good things are, humans are always going to want more and more and more. That's the whole idea of scarcity. Is that you know it doesn't matter you know it doesn't matter about the uh, the actual physical objects in the world, what really matters is the human human mind and how much it wants to go, how much it wants to take it. You know what I mean? So I do see that there's a connection between our evolutionary past and within the constrained vision. But I do see that within the unconstrained vision, at least in terms of war, poverty, and crime, I them seeing it as an exception to to human nature rather than a rule about human nature, I do see that as flawed. D, what do you what do you think about that distinction there in terms of um, war, poverty, and crime being a fixed thing within human nature? Like, not I'm not saying like all humans. I mean, all humans are capable of war. All humans are capable of you know uh, getting into poverty, and all humans are capable of you know getting involved in crime. It's I think those are. I don't think there's no human out there who can't be involved in any one of those things, depending on the circumstances of their life and, and their upbringing. What do you think? Would you agree? Would you generally agree with <laughs> to be that? Honest, it's, it's a yes or a no to me. I, I okay. do agree with it. I, okay. I agree with it. And it's, it's, you know, you can't like Which, human nature is just too, there's everyone's unique. You know, yeah. You can't, you can't say that. Eventually, we'll eliminate war. I mean, people have wants, people have needs. I agree. Like you said, yes. You know, so, 
So do you think that that we can we can strive towards um strive towards a better society? Cuz the thing is like like I said in that little little difference, one seeks to explain the causes of war and the others see it as we know why war happens because it's it's because it's part of our nature, but what we need to be really really worried about and really studying is why is there peace? And like I think that is a much more important effort than studying why war happens. I think it has to do more with cooperation. Okay. Okay. That's actually a very interesting point. Could you kind of break down what you mean by cooperation there in a sense? Like do you think cooperation by groups or or what? how so? By left and right or – I mean cooperation by individuals. OK. Um, other economies, other, okay, so other I see. countries. I mean, there's different just groups right. between whatever, groups. Whatever between. dynamic that you bring up, mm. I mean, what what is war? It's someone not obviously cooperating with the other side and what their wants yes. and needs are. Exactly. And there's not uh, some sort of mutual agreement that's that's been you know reached. Well, uh, I, war to me though, when you're talking about cooperation, probably usually like more of a last resort. They'll try sure. diplomacy yes. first. They'll right. try to be civil. At first. least, at least in, in recent history. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. True. Okay. Just want to make sure. No, I mean, even today there are countries that who will just go into war straight up. United yes. States. <laughs> <laughs> to quote, to go back to our, our <laughs> foreign policy discussion. So, um, and another thing is one of the statements that I, I I do think is interesting when we talk about left and right in terms of the culture society aspect is people tend to think that. The well, some people tend to think that the left wing um, wants to um, control, I guess, uh, or, or, or regulate society. I guess that's one way to put it. But I think if you look back at you know people throughout history, and you take uh, people like um, there's a book out there by George Will um, called "Statecraft as Soul uh, as Soulcraft," and it believes that. Man is a he's a conservative. Statecraft, statecraft, statecraft as 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 soulcraft, and the belief in that book, the whole concept of the book, and he's a conservative, is that man is a fallen you know creature, and that the state needs to create an atmosphere which he is most likely to be able to live virtuous life, and that means that the state needs to intervene in your family life and censorship and uh, in your bedroom. I mean anything, and that and that they'll and they'll do it, and you can see it's clearly right wing culturally. But it involves a considerable state. It does, so it, when people tend to claim that – That would be authoritarian right wing in yes, the quadrant. Yes, very much so. Now, when you look at things like that and, and the things I – would, I would find a lot of connections with that particular point of view and the other you know, more so of a progressive point of view in terms of regulating society but towards a different version view. of virtue. A different version of virtue. I would say that's a kind of a – Statecraft to soulcraft, I think that also can exist on the authoritarian left side of the spectrum as well. Now, do you guys see that um, in terms of, of 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 conservatives? Well, I would say let's let's not do conservatives because that's a very specific form of the right. Let's say the right in general. Do you guys see that the right culturally, and this kind of goes into height stuff, is more concerned with the care well, care harm and the disgusts that you know they say you know height uh, was mentioned that people who are conservatives or are on the right tend to have a very high disgust sensitivity meaning that or very low excuse me disgust sensitivity so they get disgusted very easily therefore their policies are very centered to, 
around certain things, aka sodomy laws and all this other crap that was around, you know, decades ago. And even I don't even know if there's there, there probably is. That's how crazy some of these guys are with these laws. But you could see how there is a social constructivist nature within some versions of the right. Because some people like to say, oh, it's, you know, this kind of goes into the unconstrained and constrained. I do think there's a lot of, you know, right wing, quote unquote, conservatives who are on the unconstrained vision. And they believe that, and they, so they'll, they'll believe that man is flawed, sure, but they'll believe that they can socially construct it through the state to make him a virtuous, whatever they mean by virtuous person. Now, do you see that? That that connection between the right and left, right there, in terms of the ability to, and this kind of goes into one of one of the points Michael Malus made, um, who's a writer, wrote a book about North Korea and about the new right. He had a statement called "Conservatism is progress uh, progressivism." Excuse me, conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit. <laughs> and what he mean what he meant by that is that a lot of the basis of what conservatives are fighting for and a lot of their a lot of their foundations are centered around progressive, historically progressive politics. So that that's an example. Is statecraft of soulcraft is a is, another, is one example. Richard Eli, the American Economic Association, he was a co-founder of it. Um, they believe that in something called the social gospel, that um, you know, the idea that instead of an individual salvation, you had to save a nation. It had to be saved in a, in a Christian sense. And he, he explicitly says, you know, don't let the masses – don't tell the masses that their lives are getting better and that they have opportunity. They don't. Make their make them uh, – make their lives better for them. Basically put some nice, you know, stuff in their uh, in their in their banks or whatever, in their little, little piggy banks to make them feel better about themselves. So you can see how there has been this social constructivist nature on the right. And I still think it does exist and I think, you know, a lot of social conservatives – would be, you know, when I say social, I mean social, cultural, right? People on the right would be very in agreement with a lot of that stuff. Now, some people are more, you know, socially conservative, but they're libertarian in a sense, and they don't want to achieve these things through the state. And some people are more culturally conservative and authoritarian, and they want to, like, like Richard Eli, like, you know, George Will, that believe you should use the state to impose certain restrictions and, you know, and give people certain incentives to act a certain way. Now, that being said, do you guys recognize that on the right? Have you seen that on the right? And do you think that that part of the right, the social constructivist part of the right should be taken seriously? Or how how should we deal with it? Because when you say social constructivist, if you could just give like a sentence and a half definition. I mean, of, probably an example of if that helps yeah. too. It's probably um, – like the pushback on legalization of marijuana, okay, because of what it would do to the culture, right? Yeah, uh, you mean like American culture, right? Or yeah. here's here's okay. a, here, that's one thing. Or here's a, here's a really good modern example, and this kind of goes into economics. A person, a, a cultural conservative, social conservative on the right, who claims to like capitalism, will then come and say, "Well, you know what? Certain aspects of capitalism deroots people and upends people, and you know, it's causing people to move from their hometowns, like." Uh, What's his name? Tucker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Tucker now, and uh, I forgot Richard. Um, I forgot who it was. One of the conservative writers in the 19th century was he didn't he didn't get a car. 
He didn't drive. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't learn no. how to drive because he believed it would remove you from your house and from your location, well, yeah, and therefore they, you needed to be. You know, I've heard that before. They they think that you should be able to live and die where your parents. Live yes, and die. exactly, and that the job should be available, and they should right be where there, you are. You right where you be are. Forced to move, you shouldn't be forced to relocate or this is, follow. Yeah, but this is follow the money. Yeah, and it's yeah. clearly it's clearly a very right wing idea. Uh, to me, that just seems like very very based on the past. Like not taking into account how society is way different now than it was back then. See, and I think I think that kind of goes into a distinction between the right and left culturally. Is the left tends to look towards the future more so, and a lot of the right, mostly the socially conservative right, tends to look towards the past. You know, nineteen fifty whatever. At what date was was things perfect and things great? And I, we right. can you know hence you know make America the the, the stupid uh, statement make America great again. <laughs> yeah. You know that was uh, the the symbol of the current president in 2016. Um, he shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> so you know in all in all honesty, like you can look there and see aspects that are clearly right wing culturally, but have nothing to do with right wing. Po- I mean, uh, quote unquote. Right wing economics. So there is, there is clearly a section of the left, uh, of the right that has tendencies of, you know, the traditional left. Now, can't, can't, are, now some people will say, oh, those aren't really conservatives. Those aren't real this, they aren't real that. Well, just because you don't like them doesn't make them not real this, not real that. So these people are a part of something. That's hence, hence goes to Michael Malice's point. Conservatism is, you know, progressivism moving the speed, uh, moving the speed limit, going the speed limit. So that's why I tend to, at least personally, and I'm economically right libertarian, I, I tend to discount pretty much almost all of those types of, you know, like, you know, Tucker Carlson type of, you know, uh, American nationalists, neocons, because primarily their, their whole implication is that we need to make the world a better place. Sure, everybody agrees on that. But, you know, you want to do it your own weird way based on your own, you know, particular policy. Some people want to make the world a better place, but primarily for their in-groups. Some people yes, want to make the yes, world a better place yes, in general. Yes, you know, yes. And I think in that – Better for who, better how. And that kind of goes into a right-left-wing distinction. You know, the left is more universal. The right is more in-group. That's one way of looking – that's a, that's a pretty – Yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty good way of looking into it. Now, um, would you – D, would you agree that – some aspects of conservatism and which is traditionally a right wing ideology does have a lot of progressive intent inclinations or progressive um, roots and that a lot of conservatives or traditional conservatives are fighting. The battles they're fighting are essentially based on a lot of progressive dogma that they just don't really notice that is going as going around. Um. I'm still learning about conservatism in general. Yeah, after, I think everybody week, just because, especially that point about uh, what you made with Michael Malice's quote. Yeah, that it's it's progressive. Uh, excuse me, progress progresses. I'm sorry. conservatism is progressives and driving the speed limit. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. It's a weird. It's a weird. It's a weird statement because it doesn't make sense. Well, it's not the statement. I just can't get over that word. <laughs> yeah, um, right. It's a weird word. But but yeah. So I mean, if you think about it, and you look back to some of the examples that you and I have spoke about. Yes. Uh, for example, gay marriage. A lot of people have moved to uh, a more modern view on that's, gay marriage. That's a very, that's a very good, that's a very excellent point. Because if you look at National Review, which is a you know traditional conservative paper that's come out in the '60s and '70s when Buckley put it out, 
they were when Reason magazine, which is a libertarian magazine, was coming out in support of gay marriage and support of, you know, legalization of drugs and all this stuff. National Review came out and called them communists and all this other stuff and said, you guys are idiots and stuff. But then National Review, I think in 2015, put an article out called The Conservative Case for Gay Marriage. So you could see that within conservatism, there it isn't necessarily there is a there is a there is a. There's room for progress. There's yes, yes, there is, and it isn't as fixed as some people would like to make it seem. And the thing about conservatives that I know is, like, like I said, they're progressives moving the speed. I mean, Michael Malice said, conservatism is progressives moving the speed limit. It took them how long to realize that people should be able to marry whoever they want to marry, especially you know, it took them a long time right. primarily. And um, but you know, if you take for instance, libertarians don't really care. Whether or not you want to get married, just as long as, you know, the government is not dictating who can and cannot get married. People should be able to get married, just the government shouldn't be dictating who can and cannot get married. So that's kind of been the libertarian position forever, you know, since the like foundation of the movement. So, um, I don't really see that being a particular issue there, but go ahead. I was just going to say, as long, I mean, so in terms of, uh, Conservatives who try to use the state to put in their yes, their, please. their ideas. I want to hear this. So that's okay mm-hmm. uh, if you, if you want to hold certain traditional values or views, but using the state mm-hmm. is something that I just wouldn't agree with. And, I agree, and the state should be a reflect. Like the laws on the books, it, the way I've understood it and mm-hmm. the way I've seen it is they're a reflection of what the culture believes. It, it starts with the culture. And then the reaction is to put in a law that reflects whatever the sentiment of the culture is. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, could you, would you say that using the word people synonymous with the word culture in that sentence would still be true? In what context? This, your sentence where you just talked about culture. If you switch the word culture with people, what the people want? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So that works. Yeah. Okay. For sure. In that way. Okay. For sure. Okay. Yeah. Cause the way I, the way I see it is, People can have their own, you know, wants and needs in terms of having their life or their extended life being more, you know, socially liberal or socially conservative. You know, I think that's cool and that's fine. Uh, I think people should be able to, you know, to have freedom of association and do all this type of stuff that they want to be able to do. But at the same time, like you're saying, the the use of the force of the state is where I draw the line on anybody getting any type of their vision out of the, you know, in the way or out of the way. I just need there to be, uh, I guess more of an understanding that I get that socially or culturally, I don't really care what you think as long as you don't try to implement it through the means of so force. If you don't use the state, what are you using to implement it? Okay. So you live your life that way. That's one way of doing it. Um, so, for instance, if, if, I, if you're trying to change something on a larger scale, because the state oh. is good at affecting things on a larger scale. I agree. Maybe I'm utopian, but I mean, I believe persuading your fellow man or, or letting the, the actions speak for themselves or the results from your actions speak for themselves. So, for example, in the case where uh, we talked about how a family would be uprooted from their home, mm-hmm. if they had strong family values and they were able to react to the, whatever the market conditions are, are doing at that time, there should be no reason why the government has to intervene to come and take care of them or, or provide a certain job that they want or are used to. They could, you know, as a family, uproot together, go find, you know, whatever that next job will be or the next adventure. And with traditional, I guess, conservative values, mm-hmm. they'd be able to 
survive, to be able to do well. And, and then through their success, or maybe they won't be successful, but when people take their traditions and their cultures and their values and they employ them in their everyday lives without having them being forced down everyone else's throat. By the state. Exactly. Sure, I see what you're saying. Then the demonstration of their success will be something to, to follow or to uh, imitate. So going off that a little bit, mm-hmm. when you, when I asked about people instead of culture, saying sure. that the people are the, you know, that's like the first. I think that plays. So on an individual level, living your life as a person under the state can affect change in a way of, you know, your immediate, your immediate surroundings mm-hmm. it can start, it can snowball to something way bigger than that as well. Mm-hmm. Right. A.K.A. civil rights movement. Well, I mean, let's, uh, but, civil rights movement or even so, child labor laws. Like, yes. Child labor was going away before, before laws, laws officially were passed. passed. Yeah, because In my of the view, personal movement people had. That, that individual personal way of life or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you live that way because that's the way you want to live. That's the way you think your life should be lived. Mm-hmm. Sure. And if that snowballs, as that snowballs, it's going to eventually get picked up by the state. Right. Well, maybe it'll be so a, it's, I mean, it's, it's almost inevitable not, in a fair. way i don't know if it's inevitable but i i, just, I guess inevitable like in the, the sense that like a, a politician will like okay this is a great running point right is right, that what you mean right so if i if i said this is what's working this is what the people want and they want to see it reflected in in right. their laws okay. so that, like looking at a law like the history of a law it's it's a law before that it was a bill before that it was mm-hmm. like a grassroots issue yeah. before that it was one person complaining to one other person That's about true. not having recycling sure. in my building That's true. for an example so yes. like in the south where they had uh, booze laws yes no yeah, no right. drinking on and right. here's another example um in the 80s during the cocaine and crack epidemic um, members of the uh, black religious community approached state lawmakers to increase the um, time a person would spend in jail for selling crack. Versus, and even and this was done in, from a social conservative point of view, using the state to get a, to get something there. But you could see the react the results that has had. You know, and many people claim that it's a it was a originally a racist um, law put into place. But if you look at the truth of it, it was put in a sense to reduce harm, in and to in, you know and to uh, to put you know to increase care. But the what intentions it, were good. Yeah, but the thing is, like some of the, some of the worst things in the world are done with the best intentions. And I think that's a big thing within the constrained. I mean, I would even say the constrained and unconstrained. And I would even say left and right in a lot of ways. And even so, and I say left and right. I also mean I'm also including conservatives in that left and right, in, in terms of like how much government they want, because I think. A lot of people do not see or do not view that, oh, I think something should be done about this. It's a horrible thing. Things are bad. Okay, I agree. Therefore, we should use physical force against people to make a change in the world. That's essentially what government is. Government is a gun at the end of the day. Put you in, you know, they have the threat of force, they use force, happens all the time. And that's why, you know, you, you're, that's why you're seeing people who did sell crack and, you know, instead of cocaine in the eighties and even, you know, recent times are going to jail way longer than a dude with, you know, a bag of coke or whatever. And that's just because social conservatives, social conservatives have, you know, went to the government, went to the state in hopes of reducing harm and increasing care. So I would, I would, I think that's, that's a more of a recent example of, of that, but, would you would you would you also so one of the things that 
I, I tend to I've looked at in the past was um, Russell Kirk. He was a really famous conservative out there. He was he was on the right, right? And uh, he had a thing called the Ten Conservative Principles. And one of the one of the principles he 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 talked about was uh, conservatives are guided by the principle of prudence. Now, sure. would you agree with that, most of you guys here today? Uh, I, I'd say so. You'd say so. Uh, I'll be able to tell you as soon as I look up a definition of prudence. Please go ahead. Get get that definition up good because it's important because I, I do have a point to make here about that. I do think it's um, – Just means like cautious? Yeah. I guess that's – I guess that's a way um, of – Prudent means acting with or showing care and thought for the future. Yes. So, so yeah. See, but the thing is – I don't think that's really a principle. I think it's a. I think it's an approach more well, so. Now that I understand the definition of the word, can you repeat? Yes. The question? I'll, uh, yeah. Conservatives are guided by their principle of prudence. Uh, not really. Okay, so there's there's some disagreement here, but I'm going to make a point real quick and tell me what you guys react, <laughs> how you react to this point. So, I I wouldn't say it's really a principle. I'd say it's more of an approach towards that. Um. I would also make the also make the statement. Well, I, yeah, no, I now that I thought about it for another ten seconds, I kind of agree. Okay, okay, hold on. Okay, okay, fine, that's good. But you guys are gonna definitely disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys will definitely disagree with me. I'll tell you that. But I guess on one hand, you could say that the prudent thing is basically doing the right thing at the right time, right? That that could be one way of looking at it. And um, some, but some people could say, oh, maybe throwing over the bourgeoisie, or or maybe oh, maybe you know taking in. Uh, all these, uh, uh, take, you know, taking over these companies and getting rid of profit. That could be the right thing at the right time. That could be what is prudent. But, you know, in many cases, here's another good example. A lot of people who uh, consider, um, you know, say Medicare for all, they would say it's prudent to have socialized health care because all these countries spend less on health care than we do. So we'll, we'll be able to you know, save a lot of money. That's an argument that people on the left will make to me. With a, with a complete straight face, and it and the thing is, like, I just don't think it has anything to do with conservatism necessarily. I think it, has to, so, it, it depends on which definition of prudence he's using. What, I mean, yeah, I've got four I, right here so in front of I, me. When I'm thinking of conservatism and prudence, I'm using the definition of prudence that means you know, just slow move it, like your, your quote about the driving the yes, speed limit, yes. like that. Yeah, I agree. I would agree with you on that. There. That yeah. it, you know, they're slow to make any lasting changes in the mm-hmm. government because they want to just really figure it out first. They're not just like free health care. Let's go, people. You know. Yeah, but like even even take like um, I'm a minarchist, right? I believe in you know having the smallest government that's necessary to be effective. Would a person on the left necessarily disagree with that? Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't think you. I don't think a person on the left would disagree I, with the statement. I want the smallest government that's necessary to be effective. It's the left would say that as well, but you know, I, that's we're just haggling over what, what is, what isn't, what isn't. You know, the smallest, the smallest, and what is how effective. Much, how much government is actually? Yeah, needed. I, I would say the principle is identical there, primarily between between the left and and right. But like, for instance, Rick Santorum. I think it was Rick Santorum was, you know, one of, one of these politicians. I forgot all about that He's, guy. Yeah, a lot of people did. <laughs> he, he comes on Bill Maher once in a while. I think this might have been on Bill Maher. I don't even know where he said it. He said, I think he said it's time to have paid family leave. And like for a person on the right, that really has never been an approach. But I can make the argument from a social conservative. Morally, yes, a social conservative point of view. Yeah. So like, therefore, that's why, you know, a lot of what conservatives are fighting for are deeply rooted in a lot of progressive dogma. 
Is it fair? I mean, look, for example, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary yes. says the first yes. definition of prudence yes. is the ability to govern and discipline oneself by the use of reason. That's an in, individualistic aspect. Exactly. Of it. But then to your point, you know, prudence could be in, in terms of uh, how to make a decision. The third definition is skill and ju- good judgment in the use of resources. Mm. That sounds like someone who's who's in power and has the ability to dictate what decisions are made on behalf of others. So, I mean – I'm not trying to put words in uh, who was it Kirk's yeah Russell Kirk's Kirk. mouth, but I, I, if if what fits the best to me in terms of uh, what he's talking about is the first definition, your ability to govern and discipline yourself by the use of reason. Got you. So yeah, and I think I think that that's, that's the fair definition in what he's talking about when it comes to prudence. Whatever Rick Santorum said, that's obviously not conservative. That's obviously not individualistic. <laughs> well, see, I think yeah, but the thing is like, I, but it, but it is conservative. Conservative in what sense? Because okay, so here's here's a social conservative argument for family for family care, Shoot. which I don't agree what? with. The just, mother just, stays home thing. Yes, that's 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 part of it. But okay. also the fact that you know she'll be able to raise the kids and and reduce. You know, since she's able to raise the kids and all this stuff with time, she'll be putting more into the kids. Therefore, the ability and the, the likelihood that they'll go and in, get involved in crime and other nefarious things will go down. That's like a social conservative argument for it. That's ridiculous. I would agree. I would agree. It's ridiculous. But, it but that's what they're pushing. That's what that's individual. what they're saying. Okay. I I I'm not finding it as ridiculous as you both. <laughs> but I also feel like there's something that I'm not understanding quite about it. Okay, please. <laughs> now, <laughs> I mean, let's say you go. Let's say they offer that that as an option, right? To let's the, say it happened to my mother. Sure. Okay. Sure. Right, well, actually, I, was, I, was, I, I, I take that back. <laughs> I say sure, but I, I want to take that sure back because okay. your mother is not every mother. True. She may have been a great mother True. to you, but are all mothers going to take well, that time, good, take that money and use it appropriately, actually spend time with their that's kids a very good point. and actually raise their kids? I mean, no. So we're going to start telling right. people how see, they should use yeah. that time? That's, yeah. See, that's not – see, that's a that's, – that's more of a – you know, I think would be more of an accurate right wing description so, so versus that, a Rick Santorum approach, which is I yeah. would I would I would call that. That's a perfect example well, of we got to scratch beneath the surface of these uh, policies. It I, sounds good, but what happens? How can you guarantee going back to the intentions versus the effect exactly. consequences? Right. Yeah, and that's uh, you know, it's like the intentions is for the mom to spend time with her kids to have the kids grow up nice. The actual effects could be. The mom's abusing the money, and you don't know who's gonna, well, and you don't even know who's going to really uh, take advantage of that policy. Right? Yeah. Are the moms who are going to raise their pa- their students well, or their kids so, the way they should? You know, the way Rick Santorum believes they should. Are they <laughs> even the ones that are even going to take advantage <laughs> of this so policy? Could you not write into the laws of the policy, res- like not restricting, it, but just making it applicable to? A certain group of see, mother, you know, see, like your see, own. This is, this well, is it's, why it would the conservatives are social constructivists, right? It would be Ultimately, up to the people right. writing the laws, so it's whoever they want to favor. And yeah. who are they? Right? Who are they to determine? This? Right? No, I'm. I'm. Rick Santorum don't like I, I, is not a mom. I'll <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess like that. So that I guess that that kind of breaks yeah. that down for sure. But I, I, I do. I would say that there's an, here's another left and right, you know, cultural thing. Um, and this is not necessarily a criticism. Of uh, the left or the right, um, inclusionism versus exclusionism. So should everybody, excuse me, should everything be made as accessible to everyone as much as possible? That's a traditionally left wing idea. Or are there some things just for me and some things just for you? And that's not really something we should be fighting for. That's a very very right wing 
idea, and that's where I would see another divide. Kind of depends. I I mean, what do you? All right, go ahead, please. I'll, I'll, I'll clarify my question because the go question ahead. is actually important too. Please, what do you mean by accessible? Or is anyone going to be deprived of the opportunity to access something? But the thing is, like, okay, so here's here's another here's another argument here. Um, opportunity. So uh, opportunities. So the idea that opportunity should be equal is a nice thing to strive towards. But do you think it ever can be achieved? I'll be honest. The, the left has points on certain things in I terms agree. of privilege, and, and I, I agree with that. Yeah, I would agree. Privilege, so, 100, to a certain extent, hundred percent. I do. I think privilege is a big thing there, but I think primarily it has to do with economic foundations, sure, more so than other things. Social. Well, even yes. Yeah, well, social, I would say, but the I'd thing agree. is, like, yeah, I would say social. There is, there is a stuff. There is there is a lot of stuff there, but, but I don't think it's insurmountable. Okay. That's the yeah. Okay. Okay. I, would I don't agree think that. it's As, a fixed. And I also view. think that, like, for an example. Every single one of us has different privileges. Right. So it's and they definitely ignore a lot of the other. They focus on narrow privileges as a way to get voters. Right. Well, I mean, I think they're just traits of every individual in the market. Okay, but the thing. See, the thing about the thing about like. Um, see, I'm trying to think. This is like identity politics. Yes. Yes. So. And I, I generally in the thing at the difference. So there's two different types of identity politics. There's the identity politics that was used a lot during the civil rights movement, primarily by Dr. Martin Luther King, common, uh, common humanity identity politics. We're all Americans. We're all humans. We're all in this together. That's a common humanity identity politics. And a common enemy identity politics is to say, I'm Middle Eastern and you're white. Therefore, you are privileged and X, Y, and Z. And therefore, I need I the state. I need the state or some type of social institution to right some wrongs that have been done to me, but it's not really done to me. It's done to people that look like me. Or if it was done to me, if it was done to you, you'd have a case. I would have a case exactly. But the thing is, like, it might not be done to me. It might be done to, like, for instance, uh, I had family who lived in Iraq during the Iraq War. Right? Should I be treated a different way because you know they were involved in that? I don't think so. But there's, but the thing is, like, is that traditionally something that that's? I guess that's another cultural. Thing between the left and right, you could probably put into effect a cultural uh, difference there. Going back to like Martin Luther King, common for identity example versus no, just saying oh. like like using segregation. Right? Okay, that whole concept. So, uh, like, yes, it happened to him, but like it's also it's a broad problem. It's not like an individual transgression against an individual person. Well, it's it more can be. Like, there were no, but I'm saying like the, now there definitely were, but just. In the, the concept, the movements, okay, behind it, you know, okay. like they're it's broader than just like they're abstract. Yeah. This was done to me, and I deserve reparations for. It's even like, though that's a, that's coming back now, that's for sure. But you're saying, but saying, there's like there's an institution that kind of is behind a little bit. Of that. Yes. Okay. So yeah, but so that was true. Yes, yes, I agree. Yes. So yeah, yeah, of course. But so I was just making sure we don't leave that out. No, no, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Thank you for bringing that in. But yeah, I would I would also make the make the statement that if you look at you know, a lot of these, you know, quote unquote figures throughout history um, who are have been on the right. Um, you look at somebody like uh, was it Teddy Roosevelt, I believe, was uh, he was a Republican, wasn't he? If I'm not mistaken, just because Republicans. Mean you're in the see, right. but but see, the thing is, like, he is he is. See, that's see, that's another thing. You uh, we've Matt, Matt and I have talked about this a lot, D, where, you know, we'll get into a discussion about the left and right. And about you, you would, Matt would bring up party politics and because a lot of people have that synonymous understanding that Republican means right. 
Right. And that and the thing is about if you look at Teddy Roosevelt, he has much more in common with FDR right. and with Woodrow Wilson than he does with, you know, um I'm trying to think of a Republican president who's I can't even think. Coolidge. I guess, but even <laughs> but even that it's like still um but if you look at, you know, the history of of some of the again, Teddy Roosevelt Jefferson, was a Republican. Maybe. Jefferson. Yeah, I guess. But Jefferson was more of a universalist. Jefferson really didn't believe in the American man, in a sense. Well, and he America believed, he hadn't be- developed as much the as American it had. Human. By, no, just America. Well, know. no, but he, I know, but he, he kind of, he kind of was a universalist. Like we're all brothers in the world. Like he right. had a, that type of idea. I'm just like America didn't have as much of an identity as America back then. Yeah. So you're trying to find someone now. who represents just the Republican Party? Is what you're saying? Well, I'm trying to think of a, I'm trying to think of a, of a, a person on the Republican Party who doesn't have any of their dogma connected to the, the Progressive Era. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so it's almost impossible. Therefore, that's therefore you know I I think it's like I it's, mean pre pre Civil War or... maybe yeah maybe and um if you if you look at the the historical nature that we're seeing now in terms of how culture is being so here's an here's an example of um I guess here's an example of uh, what we talk about in terms of culture so. I guess goes to a classification of right wing and left wing, which is uh, the left tends to have more so sympathy for the weak versus empathy for the strong. So there, there's going to be far fewer people at the top and there's going to be a lot of people at the bottom. So if you're sympathized with the weak, that means that you're going to have policies like minimum wage and other things. Um, as low as, you know, or you're going to, um, be much more common thing you could say. A lot of the culture. I mean, I, I could definitely say that culture right now is has been dominated by the left wing. I would probably, I would probably say that. Would you guys agree that culture in the last twenty years has been dominated by left wing? I'd agree. I mean, if you look at pop culture and what's going yeah. on, it's, yeah, it's, you could uh, probably extend it like a little bit past twenty years. I would also. probably say to the nineteen sixties. I would say about. Yeah, I would. I would make 70s that seventies. Not even sooner than that. I would make well, excuse me, uh, older, older. Well, than that. see, it's, it kind of see that kind of depends, you know, because like so an example. Hollywood's golden era in the United States. Well, see, the, well, I would see the thing about Hollywood's golden era in the United States that kind of heavily connects with like a lot of those people in that time were being pushed by um, the Communist Party, um, who was basically answering to Stalin at the time, and they were trying to get you know messages and certain things put through there. That's all, you know. McCarthy kind of dealt with that. In the later on in his career, but they chose that that and you know, I ran medium to, because it was a, yeah a, fr- a reflection of well well not only that but I think they chose it because that's the fact the the best way to get across a message right you know, and at that, that, that time the thing is like you look at people like um, Arthur Schlesinger I think he was a social democrat uh, in the back in the day he wanted to fight the Cold War just as much as any right winger so mm. it, it really it really depends on a lot of these things and like. There is aspects that have gone towards, you know, more of the extremes. And remember, we did talk about that. But in terms of social, you know, cultural dominance of the left and right. So let's take, let's take politics today. Sure. Let's just do the modern era real quick. So if, if you're somebody who, and I, oh God, if you're somebody who would have a, a MAGA hat on and go outside versus somebody wearing, you know, uh, the pussy hats that were in the women's march uh, that started in 2017, um, what would be the reaction from the people walking down the street? I think that's a pretty good way of seeing 
how the cultural dominance of the left probably because if it was if the culture was completely dominated by the right, then there wouldn't be anybody saying anything about that you know ridiculously hat. Uh, using the example of walking down the street, it definitely depends on what street you're walking. Well, I, down. I, yes, context. I would, yes. So, granted, if you're in other areas, if you're, if you're just generalizing, like America, yeah, America, generally, just pick pick a random you know, pick a random city. What are the chances? What of are the right? chances? Yeah. So I then, think, I mean, uh, would you use the the evening news and all their outlets if they can all find a commonality in a story of where uh, they'll they'll actively seek out someone in a MAGA hat doing something wrong? Well, that's well. The thing is, like that goes into like um the uh, Covington yeah uh, uh high school sure that kid. The thing is like that. The, the thing about that, you know, the kid who was screaming at that the, um the, he didn't do anything in the MAGA hat. Yeah, they're all they're all yeah I, yeah for sure. Um. I would generally have the same same description there, but I would I would have this the description to say that the only reason that he was being focused on is because he had a MAGA hat on. Exactly. If he right. never had a MAGA hat on, it would never have been talked about. Yes. Never. It would just never have been talked about. But the fact that that was there, he was, was part of a group of students right there. Yes. He was the only one wearing the hat. Yeah, I, I would agree. He's so, the only face I remember of all the students. Me, who were yes. There. Well, yeah. Well, he was he was being featured primarily. Well, exactly. But like you could see you could see how. The, you know, and the thing, what I think about media, right? And I think about education. So if you look at the education system, I would say, um, and I, I'm a big fan of education. Don't get it twisted. I love education, <laughs> but I would say that there is a big effort, um, unknowing effort, just primarily that uh, there's, so for instance, I think it's, um, 80% of social sciences, uh, people in the social sciences are on the left. And the problem with that necessarily is you're not getting a balanced viewpoint from these well, professors. The, if 80% or 90% is the left, then the right just has no traction in well, these circles. I agree. Well, that's primarily what's going on. And what I fear about that is that in academia, it creates an echo chamber. And therefore, so for instance, if there's an echo chamber in the right and nobody from the left comes in and tries to ever you know, pop a bubble – and that echo chamber will continue to grow and they'll never learn from their mistakes and they'll continue doubling down on the mistakes rather than, you know, refining and retooling their ideas and theories and coming out forward. Um, and the same thing can be said for the left um, in, in particular in particular fields. I mean, there should be, always be a constant back and forth, between, especially in academia, between people that see one thing in a certain way, one thing in another way. I, I, that's what I, That's the point I would make. But I will say that since there is a general – I would say the media and I would say that the education system is predominantly – has a uh, – I would say most of the people involved – and it has a progressive vision, mm-hmm. I would say. But I would say the only reason it does – so some people will go crazy and say, oh, yeah, because they're they're in tandem working together, man. Yeah. It's like, no. No, it's not what's happening. What's happening is most of the people in those organizations happen to be – on the left or progressive. Therefore, the message they're putting out reflects who they are. So that's why you're not seeing a lot of um, diverse diverse opinions coming from some of these institutions. So, and then therefore, what's happening now is you have institutions that are centered towards one echo chamber, so like Fox News echo chamber, and then you have an MSNBC echo chamber where like there's, I mean, Hannity and Combs was like the only thing Fox News had a, a long time ago where Combs was a, was a left winger and could come in and you know bite back at Hannity, that doesn't really exist anymore in television. 
I don't really see that anymore in television. Granted, I don't watch much television, but a lot of people do, and it definitely affects their way they think. And I would say since Han- since Combs left Fox News, it got much more, you know, singular focus, and there wasn't any, there was never any pushback. If there was pushback, it was meant to demean the pushback, never meant to demean their, never really deal with their ideas. That's something they've had people that disagree with them, but it's always, you know, using as a moral play. Like, oh, we're having this socialist professor on who agrees with X, Y, and Z. And then they don't even talk about issues. They just talk about how, oh, evil, socialism is evil. It's like, well, let's talk about the issues. It's like, yeah, you can go. The thing is like, if I'm going to talk about stuff starting from a morality point of view, like it's an emotional argument they're making. In my opinion, that's a fallacy. If you want to, if you want to defeat somebody on their, on their points, Defeat them on their points. If you're going to castigate them and make everybody else who's listening to them think that they're evil, that's a really good way to demonize the other side and not, while not dealing with their actual issues. Because most people can't answer these issues. The average, the, I would say the average, the average conservative probably wouldn't have a very good argument for, for, against minimum wage or against, um, um, monetary, uh, fudgery. I, I, I guess there would be, it's very rare to see that. I mean, that's true, but just going off that, I think that's true for both sides and for most people. I would agree. The apathy level is pretty high right now. Yeah, compared to like when the 60s, the apathy level was not necessarily, it was the passion level was extremely high. And like, you know, the, the cult, the cultural movements and the cultural. At the same time, I can totally see why it is so low or so, uh, apathetic or yeah, yeah, because like the state of the, government has just deteriorated since the 60s okay okay so huh that's interesting so the state of the government has deteriorated since the 60s and not even just that you could even go further back than just the 60s just because you brought that up but okay got you yeah i mean you could definitely go way way further back i i would i would make the statement that when it comes to i guess we could probably spend the rest talking about economics now because I think we did a pretty good job talking about the cultural differences between the left and right, but even the cultural difference between the right and the right. Because libertarians culturally, we mentioned libertarians culturally don't really care what you do. And you can, I, I'm an economic, economically right libertarian. I don't care what people do with their bodies or anything like that. I don't personally. And, mm. um, or what, you know, I don't care about harm stuff like drugs. I don't think that's a care harm issue. I think that's an individual liberty issue. When care harm, I mean, are you talking about using the government as the vessel to employ those beliefs? Because don't statistics show that people who are more conservative actually give more? That is true. That is true. They they tend to give more. That is so it's almost dismissive to say that there's no care harm there uh, in terms of that well, the, moral is, foundation. No, I, th- I do think conservatives are very heavily – heavily do care about care and harm. But I would say that conservatives – um, their their care their, their care and harm is dependent. Their their aspect of care and harm is dependent on an in group, right? More so than universally. Their community, the the immediate person. Yes, to, the, yes. Versus a left person who was on the left, a leftist would see care and harm as a universalist type of thing, right. more so than as a in group type of thing. Um, but just a quickly, the quick thing before we move on to economics. I will make the statement and make the point at least um, now that I, I do think that the cultural differences and the moral differences are vast, right? Um, it's I mean, as a libertarian, it's very hard for me to sell 
a lot of my arguments to another liberal primarily because, you know, like I said, when, when like Jonathan Haidt actually said, I don't necessarily – libertarians don't necessarily see altruism as, you know, self-sacrifice or whatever. You know, sac- I mean living for one – somebody else's benefit at somebody else's benefit as a moral good when liberals do see that as the primary primarily basis of morality. So since that's there, like I mentioned earlier, liberal, liberals think libertarians are immoral. So how how can so for instance one of the things I try to do is not not discuss things primarily from that point of view. I try to discuss things primarily from a um, liberty and oppression point of view. Do you want the government to be involved in every aspect of your life, or would you rather have the freedom to do what you want to do with your life, uninterred, un you know as long as it doesn't interfere with somebody else's freedom? And I think if you, I mean, as a libertarian, I think that is a better sell. Than saying, oh, I think the minimum wage should be zero dollars because of X, Y, and Z. And actually, the minimum wage is actually hurt workers. And I have the data here and the evidence here and blah, 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 blah. Most people are automatically, when they hear that, they emotionally check out because they're just not willing to deal with the issues. Therefore, I think at least the way I approach it as somebody who does, you know, talk about these things with other people. And when I do explain libertarianism, I, I, I've been promising this. I'm going to have a show on libertarianism. It's just taking me a while to get everything ready. I, but as someone who does consider themselves a libertarian, I do think the argument for my case towards a person on the left or the right has to be in order to, you know, to see from this point of view, because economically left, economically right is a, is a, is a second thing to me. What matters is how much force you need. And I, me- I remember I started with this, but I, I do want to say, Getting into into economics now, guys, because I would say the left and right historically have aspects that are very authoritarian using. I mean, they want to get what they need to get done economically through authoritarian means, Mm. both the left and right. But also I would say both the left and right have had extreme libertarian ways of getting what they want done through their means. So and this and I'll explain what I mean by that. So a, a common a common rejection towards what I just said there would be like, oh, well, socialism, through socialism, there has to be force because not everybody will be in agreement. And what I'll say to that is I would agree with you primarily, but I will also disagree because there is a long history of libertarian socialists that have tremendous theories out there that say, hey, if a group of 100 people or 1,000 people or 10,000 people that all agree on X, Y, and Z want to get together and have a commune and they don't force anybody to get in that commune and it's all voluntary, as long as it's all voluntary, it's libertarian. Even though the economic system is socialist, even though I think it's going to go, it's going to be a, you know abysmal failure, and nothing. I mean, they're going to they're going to live pretty bad lives because the, the the you know if you just want to go, you don't want to include government in this primarily. If they can all get on the same page, it could work out for a little while. Yeah, see, the thing is, like, yeah, see, <laughs> a little while. See, but the thing is, like, that's the thing. I don't care if somebody wants to live. I mean, I don't care if a group of socialists want to buy some land right now in northern Michigan and, you know, live out their life like a commune. I have no problem with that. Buy from who? Well, the thing is, like, they would have to buy from whoever owns it. So the thing is, like, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, the thing is, like, they might have a problem with buying it. But, like, the idea is – my point is, like, in in our system today, 
there, I mean, there should be, you should be able to go and start your own economic, you know, little area. If you got 10 people with some money who are all yeah, socialist hippies and they want to go buy some land, I agree. To. See, but the thing well, is, like, they'll have to that, make some of those final see, transactions. And, see, and, see, exactly. <laughs> and in the 60s, yeah. And in the 60s, I mean, you're going to have to buy it from somebody. You're going to need some. Uh, I agree. You need some money. You need some capital. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, in the, in the 60s and 70s, the new left, you know, a lot of these people ended up doing that. What I just said, they actually ended up buying communes, and some of them ended up pretty bad. And uh, not, my aunt and uncle lived on a houseboat for like dozens of years. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So yeah, exactly. This is it's, it's, my uncle's from San Francisco. Hell yeah, dude. So like, what I'm saying is, is like this is a, a so, it is a socialist thing, but it's all done voluntarily. Therefore, I have no problem with it as a libertarian, personally. I agree Grant, with you. Yeah. See, see, then the thing is like. That's where I have no problem. But when you talk about economics, I think a lot of people on the right tend to have a position where, well, let's keep the economics outside. We, we shouldn't we shouldn't interfere with economics. But you know, but wait, if it uproots people and causes you know social, you know, if it does not help social cohesion, then we should interfere. That's what we see now with the Trump presidency, and like, oh, farmers. Um, that we need to put tariffs on X, Y, and Z, and then the farmers are hurting now because of these tariffs, and now they're giving like twelve or they're like giving 14, billi- fourteen billion dollars of yeah. like aid to farmers. It's like, why? Why are you in this corporate welfare? Like, this well, is- it's because they paid the farmers to burn their crops already. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not wrong. You know, not, you're not wrong, but you can see how like this central planning aspect does exist on the right because a lot of libertarians and even a lot of conservatives say, oh. The left loves, you know, manipulating the market and using the market or using or, or, or putting incentives in the market to push things a certain way. But the truth is conservatives do it just as much. Yeah. And I think that's why. And the thing is, the thing is, they're using the state to do the economic, you know, situation there. And for the left, it tends to be, you know, minimum wage, you know, paid family leave. Is it fair to say the sentiment is on the right? It's what's good for America, what's good for the country. What's good? I would say I wouldn't even. I would go and then on the much, left, much more nuclear family. What's good for the family? Yeah, I was going to say on the left, it's what's good for the people. There's no mention of the country; it's just people. Uh what's good for the masses? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that sentiment. I would. I would the only tweak I would make is what what's good for the what's good for the family. Okay. Because like you hear people say, "Oh, markets uproot families." Like they'll they'll con- like they'll continuously say in Rick Santorum with his paid family leave thing. He's using it from a social constructivist, you know, social conservative point of view of like um, they need help. Therefore, we're going to give it to them this way because it will help encourage family values, which – and the thing is like you use – you're manipulating the government. The government is manipulating the market in a sense to get that done. So I do tend to disagree with a lot of people on who agree with me, <laughs> who are libertarians and, and people on the right, who consider themselves on the right that – this economic stuff is the, the the tendency for central planning comes from both the left and right. I would say pretty much equally. Um, I and, this, and, and I can I can give you examples and, and historical examples and current examples, but the tendency like Nixon created the EPA. You know, it's like it's not like you know this was a Republican president. He created one of the most you know progressive um, uh, institutions that we have today. So when you look at this, it's it's kind of not as black and white as I used to think. Because I used to think, oh, 
you know, what's on the right, as far as you go, it becomes anarchism. And, you know, on the, on the left, it's like, you know, communism and Nazism is right there. And like, I used, I mean, that's a, I mean, I used to think that way for years. And then like, I started thinking like, oh, well, I started reading more, um, anarchists from the left and other things like that. And then I realized like, oh, wow, there's a lot of you know, left-wing anarchists that I'm not even like taking into consideration. But yeah, that's kind of my thing. That's my statement is like the economic situation of the left and right isn't as black and white as people like to make it seem. But predominantly the right is heavily divided on what type of intervention should be put into the market. Now, can people on the right – so I, I, I consider myself an economically uh, right libertarian. I can talk to social conservatives who consider themselves on the right. I can talk to American nationalists like John Bolton and you know talk to him about uh, what he thinks about America. But we'll all disagree on how much state intervention should be put into the market. So with that disagreement, do you think that we as people who consider ourselves on the right, do you think there's anything we can do to push a more – because I am coming from a more – you know, the separation of econom- economics and state for the same reason as the separation of church and state. It's an Ayn Rand quote, and I, I believe that pretty much as because, you know, the, you know, church and state coming together creates a lot of problems in, in, in the sense of uh, corruption. Economics and state, as you're seeing right now, is creating a lot of corruption. Well, uh, one of the biggest problems I think today with that is that the size of the government has gotten so yeah. big that's their they're their own economy. Like you can't they're creating an okay you can't economy. take the economy out of the government at this point because it's so big. Well, I think if you do, it requires so much money right well, now. Well, I think yeah. you can, but it, it, because it's so big right now, the pushback it's going to be really hard to bring it back. I, I I agree with you, and I think you know most 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 you know social conservatives will like. In you know they'll say they agree with with what we're talking about right now, but they'll they'll push back with that sentiment that we can't do it now and it can never be done and it's already too far. Why and, not? What do you mean it's too far? I didn't say that. Not you. But I'm said, saying okay, I'm saying social okay. conservative. I don't consider you a social conservative, but a lot of social conservatives will take that point and then add on. Yeah, just go further. Go and further say, and say, well, it's already too bother. far. What's too far about it? Like, like everything. So, you, so, so, like, if you, if, so, this is what they, I think this is what they mean a lot of. Like them. the auto companies too big to fail. That's yeah. one thing. thing. But also, like, if we took away and changed some of the um, liability, you know, the, un- the liabilities, uh, not liabilities, the, the unnecessary branches of the government. Well, that's that we one don't thing. Need. I would guess, but also, like, let's say we uh, took away some programs and th- certain right, things, like, stuff like that. Exactly. Yes. The thing is. A lot of people on the social conservative side will say, well, if you do this, it's going to uproot all these people. Right. And there's no way that we won't be able to – it's going to create tons of problems. People chaos. are going to get involved in drugs, chaos, blah. You know, they're gonna, yes, yes. And you know what? Maybe. But maybe not. And the thing is like I don't think they're even taking into consideration the maybe not. And I think that's what a lot of social conservatives miss is that the maybe not might – and the thing is like the maybe not might be the answer. Versus like, oh, it's definitely going to happen. They're already – they're making it seem – and this is – they're making it seem like it's an inevitable fact. Well, but maybe not also doesn't guarantee re-election. Well, yeah. See, see, and that's another, that's another problem with, with politics in general and why I feel you – know, you know, why I feel personally it's so hard to kind of get anything done through politics that's actually meaningful. 
Um, that's why I think, like, like you said, conversation between everyday people to convince one another is probably the most powerful form of um, change you can do. Education. Education, yeah. Not formal education, just education of just other people's ideas. And well, yeah. But the thing is like you had people like in the past – I forgot his name. Um, he was uh, he was an, a famous – he was a – I think he was a famous educator and I'm trying to think. He He made the point – I believe that if you educate everybody, crime will go away. You know, I think he was a he was a conservative. I mean, I think he was a, a social conservative back in the past, and he, he I think he was one of the people who called for um, public schooling. I think he's the originator of public schooling, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that was one of the big things that he he was he was pushing. Was like, oh, you know, if, if if humanity was just educated enough. We wouldn't make all these problems. And that's another one of those good intentions, <laughs> yeah, bad, bad results. results. Exactly, because now crime's in the schools, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, and uh, it's just it just ends up being a very heavy-handed approach, you know, conscript, conscripting kids to go to school, forcing kids to go to school. You know, our one of our candidates, uh, Kamala Harris. She used to put uh, parents in jail for truancy. Not without... my candidate. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was putting people in jail. Prosecuting people because they were not 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 taking their kids to school, so like you can see how that idea of like oh we want to give kids an education and you know this will be better it'll be great I agree but like now you're using the state to throw away their parents and now they have to go into a foster home because they and then they're not going to go to school it's like wait 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 you could see and even some progressives as she calls herself has a very quote unquote law and order career I mean you look at some of these people and they claim. To be like you said, a lot of people talk the talk, but they don't necessarily walk the walk, right. and don't have a history of a lot of this stuff. Now, economically, let's put it this way: the left tends to view um, private, uh, not, uh, not so not all the left, a lot, some of the left. I would say the far left tends to view private property and you know profits as immoral and evil, right? And I would say that's probably more accurate for the socialist left. Uh, when I say far left, I mean socialist left because not not many people on the left are socialists. They're more so social, social democrats. Yeah. You know, they want – they like capitalism. They want you know to tweak it a little bit here and there, make some regulations to save the environment. But they also want a heavy-handed you know, social safety net. I think that's where most American p- people on the left actually stand. I don't think most Americans are actually you know, like, socialists. As someone on person. the right apparently, I don't have a problem with – the more moderate, like left view, me too. Of, like a social safety net. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, well, in terms of that, I, 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 I have, I have some issues with it for sure. It depends on how it's implemented. Well, th- there's, a, there's a huge. We should have a whole discussion on social safety nets. <laughs> uh, I think that would be a fantastic discussion to have. Uh, even the whole, a whole concept of the welfare state. And um, I mean, ha- I mean, we can get that's okay. Wow, that's actually a good idea. That's a good like branch off of the end of this one. Well, yeah, that's a good idea. For, that's a good idea for our next show. Yeah. Um, but you know, I would say uh, if you look at, let's take neoconservatives because that's a group I like to mention and you know sh- and crap on a little bit because <laughs> I can't stand them. But <laughs> neo neocons are an interesting group of people, um, primarily because. <laughs> Primarily because they all started out as former Trotskyists, right? They all were former Trotskyists and um, pretty much almost all of them. And if you look at their uh, – if you look at their their, their beginnings, it's, it comes heavily from progressivism. You know, uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, I, I really think that if you look at the Iraq war, right, 
They really thought we were just going to go in and make these Iraqis into Americans. We're going to, you know, apply the American system. They're going to love constitutional democracy, uh, republics. They're going to love the separation of powers. They're going to love, you know, wearing jeans and, you know, but the thing is, and this, and this is kind of goes into my point about, I guess, a wider American culture, um, in general. I think, you know, the neocons try to implement their vision of conservatism, you know, which is the American, the American founding and all this other crap, American exceptionalism towards other countries versus towards in, internally into the country. You take a group like, um, the social, some of the, uh, Trotskyists who wanted to have revolutions all over the world versus in just in, in Russia. They wanted to have all these revolutions around the world. It's the same idea. See, Trotsky believed in a permanent revolution that once you have socialism in one country, you have to have a continuous fight, a permanent revolution happen in the other countries. Of course. The, if, it's, if it doesn't work there, then everyone else sees the other country. Uh, well, see, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly a good well, point. You need cooperation with everyone else. Yes. But what happened to the neocons? They, they dropped the Trotskyism. They dropped the communism. But they, they kept the essential foundation, which is at Trotskyism, the idea of a permanent revolution. Instead, their permanent revolution is a revolution of American exceptionalism. That's the main difference. And I, I would say that, you know, a lot of these neocons who consider themselves conservatives are actually, like I, and I keep making this point, are actually have, have a lot of their dogma buried in and nestled into the, you know, uh, historically progressive or, you know, leftist type of views. So you can, like I said, the, you know, Trotskyist into neocons. But I guess one of the things I, I, I mentioned a while ago to you guys, and this was in the last show, and I, I think this would be a good a good place to kind of you know cap you know cap all this in. We talked about the left, we talked about the right, but the main thing is the left wing tends to be egalitarian, and the right wing tends to accept and necess- and, and even accept and live by hierarchies. So I w- authority, maybe even. Well, I would, I would, I would, I would take away authority there because there's a lot of libertarians who don't view authority that way, but they do believe. But they believe in the state still. Well, some don't. Is, some libertarians well, okay, don't. but when you just talk libertarians, I think most libertarians yes, still believe, believe in, this, in the state. They believe they believe in that, but when I say hierarchy, I mean within the populace, within the people who are not part of the state. Okay. So, like the average American. So uh, the left tends to work towards an egalitarian future. Where everybody is equal. I would say libertarians and people on the right tend to live towards a world where everyone is rewarded based on their own merit. I would, would say you? I would agree that that's the message the left sends, but I think they yeah. just kind of like hide the fact that there are still going to be hierarchies. Well, yeah. See, the thing is like I think that's I think that's the sad point. That comes to like discussion, dis- discussing this is like we, we talked about a lot of problems with the right today. Yeah. <laughs> we, we definitely talked about neocons. We talked about American na- nationalists. We talked about the social conservatives and how, you know, how much in tandem they are with the progressives and with a lot of the leftists out there. Um, but one thing that I do think is, is sad to, is some of the, some of the anarchists on the left. So, you know, some of the anarchists on the left who don't believe in a state but are libertarians, they essentially believe that we can just become completely unhierarchical. Hierarchical, meaning that there's – Unhierarchical. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Sorry. Um, but that means that there will be no more hierarchies ever for anything. And I think just like 
I, I don't think that is a realistic view of human uh, nature. Even because, if you did get rid of the hierarchies, more would develop and well, take their place. Well, not, I agree, but like, think of a hierarchy like, okay, we're all going to dig a hole. Some people are better at digging holes than others. And this kind of goes into like, um, I mentioned uh, Michael Malice's big point on whether you're left wing or right wing is a quick yes or no answer. And he said, um, the question is, do you believe that some people are better than other people? And he said, if you're on the right, you'll answer that yes. If you're on the left, you're going to make a speech. Do you believe that some people are better uh, than other people, just better? At anything. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's, why, that's why you guys are on the right. That's why I'm on the right too. <laughs> See, but I think that is such an easy litmus test. We didn't, we didn't give a speech. And you know what I mean? <laughs> There's no speech there necessary. Um, and I, I do think that <sighs> – I do think a lot of people on the left would tend to, ha- would tend to give a speech. Um, you know, those, I think those are the two results you can have from the question. I think the left in generally, I think the left generally I, will say, will, will have the speech because in my opinion, and this is, you know, I think there will be a lot of cognitive dissonance because on one hand, it's against their core belief. I think that's a, one, that's a, one, but like, hold on real quick. Yeah. On the other hand though, they realize that it's absurd to say that. That's why the speech comes into effect. I think it depends what you mean by better. What are we talking? That's you know, what I was going to say. It's yeah. very, very important that you make the distinction of what you mean by better. Any do you and mean everything. Better at something, yes. or do you just mean a better morally person? No. So morals take morals out of it. Is just are some people better than other people at anything yes, and everything? Of course. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I think. See, I think. You think, think, think us would say no to that. Yeah. I think. Really? Yeah. Though not no, that we would it would not be no. So that's what I'm saying. Um, the two it would it would come so the left I think would instantly there would be some cognitive dissonance there because on one hand it is totally against their foundational beliefs mm-hmm. because egalitarianism is their foundational beliefs primarily um, but on the other hand it's absurd to say no that's why the speech comes into effect well it depends on this and that and you know how are you measuring and are these objective ways of measuring or is it I subjective like, you know if like, I were someone on the left and I was asked that question and I said no. Using LeBron James as an example for something, somebody good at something. Yes. Is LeBron James a really good basketball player? Yes. Is this dude in the G League? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, is he That's a, better yeah. than LeBron James? See, at that Obviously point, you'd be, you'd be for, well, see, at that point, you'd be forced to say some people are better than that. But. That's, okay, here's the but. Okay. For, just coming yes. from a liberal. I could, that, see that someone, I could see them saying. LeBron James and that G Leaguer when they were just born, maybe not equal chance that like maybe LeBron's dad loved basketball. He was brought up around basketball. He was mm-hmm. shooting hoops by the time he was three. Yeah, maybe the G Leaguer started when he was twelve. That know? might be, but but the thing is like, but yeah. the potential is there when they're born for each of them to become equally as great. So there's as equal LeBron James equal is. potential. Yeah. See, so. the thing is like I would I would agree that they would uh, somebody on the left would say that, but then I would say, well, hold on a second. Wait, how about the guy in the G League's five two? That's what I was about to say. Not necessarily. <laughs> like, <laughs> Not what happens there? What if like his parents are both five two, and he ends up being five two? And he made the G League. That means he's really good. Yeah, but it doesn't mean he's gonna get. You know, it doesn't mean he's limited he, by he's his limited. height. There's right. a limit there. Well, but there's naturalistic I mean, limits okay, to everything. Five foot two, but uh, you had what was the five foot five dude played for the Nuggets a long time ago? Yeah, but the thing is like. 
the average you of can, five five guys coming into the league is I mean you're looking at the cream of the crop for people like at that I, mean, I think to be that good what you're arguing is is his value as a yeah. person and the, the thing is like nobody person, is no yeah but, that's a, something really important to put out there yes what were you going to say about the value oh, of the person very straightforward just I mean it, it, there's, it's not that any person's value is greater than one or the other that everyone's life I'm sure is the same value but well I I, I, I don't know. No, no, I, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> no, no, I think, I think, I think you're saying, I think you're saying all the right things there. Um, I think when we talk about when we talk about this, it's important to to put the n- neither of these terms, left or right, are loaded in terms of morals. You know, it's in terms of you know, or in terms of quality of person at all. It's there are classification terms. Because politics is made binary in our country, right? Um, All someone has to do is say, oh, he's a right wing or, oh, he's a left wing, and people stop listening. It happens so often. Like when you you just – it just happens so often. So there's no benefit – I mean it happens a lot of time where a lot of people will not see any benefit in saying, oh, I'm I'm, I'm identifying the right. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't find the left because they're worried that half the other people will be like, oh, he's a left winger. Oh, or oh, he's a right winger. Oh, God. You know, like people tend to, to, to instantly yeah, do that. make those associations. I think that's why, you know, to go to your earlier point in our last show, that's why a lot of people tend not to identify like fully because they don't want to, they don't want to be labeled, labeled and Wrongly. treated and treated Wrongly. that Based- and treated that way because a lot of people will look at left and right in moral terms. A lot of people will look at left and right in terms of the quality of a person versus, you know, which the way we're trying to promote today, that neither of these terms are, are you know, essentially imply morals or essentially imply the quality of a person. Um, I think more so is how I think the only thing that kind of puts that into perspective for me, quality of a person and morals, is do you think violence is a good way to achieve your means? And if you think violence is a good way to achieve your means, what are your means, and and what what how much how much how much bloodshed is worth it? And I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day when you talk about politics between the left and right, between conservatives, liberals, libertarians. It's like what are your what do you want to accomplish? Can you accomplish? Can we accomplish this with the least amount of violence? How can we accomplish it with the least amount of violence? That should be the question for every politician out there. How can we accomplish X, Y, and Z? With the least amount of violence, maybe even not violence, but harm. Well, I think I think it's I think it's synonymous in, in, in that way because if the government does something to somebody and it's unintended, it's still unintended violence because like, their force. It's you mean actually direct. I think of more like intrapersonal, like physical. You okay, know? see, I would. But I'm also including in my in my in my uh, description of violence as threat of. Okay. You know, threat of putting you in jail, threat of doing this to you. I would I would consider that to be violent behavior, uh, my, violent discussion. My point of bringing up harm was like yes. looking at it from like a, the effect versus the actual result, right? Mm-hmm. Violence seems to me like that would be more focused on the result of it. Like, yeah. <clears throat> at, whereas harm would be more the effect. So like violence is something that actually physically would have to happen. Harm is something that like you could enact a policy – that could harm people, but it's not like a direct violation of their personhood. 
childhood. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Kind of. A, I didn't no, no, explain I, that. Very no, no. Well. I, I know. I, I know where you're coming from, though. I, I definitely see what you're saying. Um, but hmm. see, it's weird because I think cultural conservatives have a psychological aversion to the new. Right to something new. You know. I mean, you know what? You guys know what I mean. Like. Yeah, I mean, no. it's kind of mm-hmm. weird, but like, think about it, like uh, the biggest cultural advantage the left has. The, I think personally is because they embrace all the new. They embrace the um, people out there that might be kind of you know loony, but they also embrace the people out there that are geniuses a lot of the time. And if you're in the middle of a genius and a lunatic, they're equidistant from you. And you can't really tell the difference between them because they're both something you've never seen in several standard deviations from what you know. So the left gets the front row seats and they get to be the ones who welcome all the innovators, hence Silicon Valley. And that is a huge competitive advantage that the right hasn't even articulated, let alone grappled with. And I think that's what the right is missing culturally. I'll have you guys respond to that and then we'll uh, close up the show. Do you think so? Do you think yeah, that? I think it was a question. No, well, you respond to the to the statement. Do you think because the 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 cultural conservatives, let's put it that way, the cultural right has an aversion to what is new, and then the left has this embracing nature of all that's new. Therefore, they have a a, a, a big cultural advantage because they embrace mm. the geniuses, and they also embra- they but they also okay. are embracing you know people I, that might not be. You know, permissible or they might not like. I think that can definitely work both ways. Where I could see how embracing the new would be beneficial and good because that's how progress is made. I agree. But if you rush into it and it's not what you expected, things could go terribly wrong. Yeah. From the right perspective, being more conservative about it, there's more order. It's just it's harder for things to go wrong when you don't change as much or as fast. I think it, it goes back if to your you're, point. If the status quo is in a good spot. Right, where uh, conservatism is uh, progressivism going in the speed limit. Yeah. yeah. Same deal. So they let the progressives test it out, figure out the bugs, beta test it, and then when it becomes you know, good enough for conservatives to try, then all right, fine, I'm on board. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what we see. And you take, take, yeah. I mean, culturally, Silicon Valley is a perfect example. Sure. Because culturally, they're all left. And if you talk about innovation in terms of technology, in terms of the, you know Moore's law and the nanometer going you know smaller they're and smaller, pushing that forward. they're pushing that forward. And that could that could have been Texas, <laughs> you yeah. know, Silicon Valley could have been Texas, but it isn't because of a lot of cultural conservative things that wouldn't allow people like them in. Because oh, these who are these nerds and these you know these weirdos coming in? But hey, these nerds were Bill Gates, Steve Jobs in a lot of cases. So I don't know. I, I feel like that is a huge disadvantage that the right has and and continue to has. But as you, what you're seeing today in the right, primarily with – go ahead. So, I was going to say the right versus left as if they're teams. I mean just – They're, 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 they're classifications. Yeah, but I mean but it, but it also in terms of what? People see them as teams. Though. Yeah. People, yeah. People at the end of the day view – I mean that's why people will say, oh, he's left wing and people will be like, oh. 
or people will say he's right wing and you know and lose their minds. Because right wingers are still the benefactors of all that progress made. By I will the I will agree, but the thing is, they don't get to reap the uh, the benefits of the social we were the cultural ones pushing all the salt. Yes, yeah. so, exactly. See, I th- so I think that a lot of the reason that the left would be benefited by this is because they control stuff like that. They control the media, the culture of the country right now. Mm-hmm. So. There might be some so really so their influence is on politics. Silicon Valley is like everyone has a connotation in their mind of yes. what Silicon Valley means. Yes. Silicon Valley is where all the tech bros go and it's yes. a very liberal place, very technologically, you know, advanced. Very much so, yes. Right? That's like what they're focusing on. Yes. Just because that's the image that comes up when you th- left, you associate that with the left, left doesn't yes. mean that there's not necessarily right-wing course you know businessmen or people yeah or peter, companies P- peter Thiel is an example exact that aren't doing the exact same thing pushing progress forward yeah i agree 100 percent, 100 but that progress isn't as well documented in the media the majority of the people don't see it because because they're not interested in it in, well, in, in because promoting the media, it because they're not because, on that particular side because the media just silicon valley look at all this good cool left tech bros yeah i mean a, a lot of them will say and push that you know Look at how like idolized Steve Jobs was. Look at how idolized Elon Musk is. You yeah, know? but even but even people like Elon Musk now is losing that flair well, because he's not necessarily, you know. I mean, he is he is he is uh, he uh, he is very unpolitical. That's the thing about that's the thing about that's J- true. E- that's Musk. I kind of and that's why a lot of Silicon Valley isn't like in love with Musk. Primarily is because he is so unpolitical and he's willing to work with any any president to get what he needs to get done. And people view that as like, oh my God, you're working with the enemy. If it was Obama, they said that, and then, you know, it's now it's Trump that people on the left are saying that. That's kind of been his 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 thing in, for a while. And there are a lot, a lot. I mean, I think some of the best business people are the people that are not really too involved in terms of politics. Politics, and, t- and what I mean by that is pushing their politics into their business and like manipulating politics to get their business to like an extreme crazy level. That there's and it stops competition basically, and like granted, there's a lot of arguments to make about Musk and his his, his affiliation with NASA. Even and, like Bezos would be a better example than Musk, perhaps. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because you know. He, well, no, he's definitely. Eh. Well, I would say yeah. Just I would an, say just another. He's kind of apolitical too. Really. I would say he's apolitical, but the thing is, like a lot of a, but the thing is, like he's he's apolitical in a sense, but he's he's political in so far as oh. He wants to. He, yeah, he wants to press for. He doesn't 15, care whether it's left or right. He's going to take advantage of the government regardless. Exactly. So he's now he's now he's saying he wants to. He's he's promoting a fifteen dollar minimum wage or whatever, um, primarily so they can automate. I mean that's that's and, and he cuts his bottom line off. I mean that's what he's trying to do, and he's really trying to do it through using the government, which we think, you know, it looks like a left wing push. But in reality, it's just a selfish, I'm going to get more money. Push. So that's why I did like a little double take there. I was like, yes, wait a minute. because you have to think about it. Because yeah. he is uninterested, but he's interested he's, he, to make himself look interested to get what he wants. That's why I usually say some of the worst proponents of capitalism are the capitalists, the biggest capitalists in, in the country. Because what they want is to reduce the amount of competition that they have so they can have a hegemony on the market continuously for years to come. That doesn't make them very libertarian. It doesn't even make them uh, – makes them more authoritarian. It makes them very authoritarian and it, it doesn't even really put them on the left or right necessarily. It just puts them in this you know, cronyist – quadrant. Well, yeah, <clears throat> cronyist, you know, quasi-fascist and I, I use that in, a, in the correct term where the government and you know, the, the companies are working hand-in-hand hand for the nation's need. You know, I'm I, trying to think of like a, a right-wing example of somebody like that but I, I'm 
drawing a blank. Like what? Of a you know, like an Elon Musk type person, a Steve Jobs. The guy, type the per- guy. You know, okay, so a libertarian, like a famous. Okay, the guy, who, entrepreneur the guy, the guy who, the, the guy who owned Whole Foods. He was. A, he's a pretty hardcore libertarian. Is Mark Cuban conservative? Mark, Mark Cuban. I think he's like a is a left libertarian. I would, yeah. I would classify yeah. him as. So he would be left. He that's a yeah. decent example. Yeah, I would consider him a left libertarian because he is. He he is a libertarian. I mean, probably like a yeah. Uh, probably a center-left libertarian. He was at first uh, uh, supporter of Trump. Then he kind of backed away. He's like, oh, Once he realized. <laughs> yeah, it was like toxic. He's like, forget this. It's I'll like, do oh, it myself. This is so radioactive. I got to get out of here. <laughs> trying but to I, find him. He's a hedge fund manager. Oh, OK. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. But yeah, there's very rarely will you see that being a thing. But like – so I think that's one of the – when we talk about culture, social – Stuff I think when it, the left does have this all-inclusive type of thing, which lets in a lot of crazies, but lets in a lot of fantastic people. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of crazies on the right. We talked about the far right last week, and they're nasty. I mean, not last week, last uh, podcast uh, on on the left and right, and their craziness. So I'm not I'm not saying that. What I mean by crazies is like there's a lot of eccentric people who are on the left and who are like artists and stuff like that, but they might not necessarily add value. But then all of a sudden you have an artist who comes in and adds tremendous value or you have a, you know, a really eccentric, you know, coder who goes to Silicon Valley, but he's not really, you know, disciplined. They, they accept them They'll, into the into the world, but you know, they won't necessarily let go of the greatest coders out there. And that's why they tend to be the most dominant you know, force technologically. I come from a technical background, a technology background, and, you know, watching the stuff they're doing is incredible. But again – People are wondering why are these companies so, you know, people, Republicans and conservatives, why are these companies have such a left wing bias, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, are you not paying attention to what's going on culturally? Like, don't you understand that, like, that area of the world is extremely culturally left? Therefore, people who flock to that area will be culturally left. Therefore, people who work there in these companies are culturally left. (laughs) So the companies will be culturally left. I mean, people, I think, and that's why. Like I said, a lot of conservatives don't even know that. It right. just, this doesn't even cross their mind. That's a real thing. That's why they're so surprised by a lot of the stuff that they see in the in social media and all this other stuff. But I guess you know when it comes down to our understanding of the cultural and the psychological, the moral aspects of the left and right, I think we did a pretty good job of as you know people who consider themselves on the right, kind of deducing some of the stuff, kind of going back and forth on some of the stuff and. And seeing where we we where we stand and where we lie, um, I think a lot of us today need to understand one another better. And I think the best way to do that is to use what we know about morals, about culture, about one another in terms of our policies and our politics. And like I said, the main thing I want to push throughout this conversation, through part one, through part two, and part three or part two a or two b, excuse me, is I don't care if you're economically left or right. It doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me most is how much force do you think the government should be put upon the populace? And I think that should be little to none. So I want to thank you guys for coming today and thank you for talking with me about the left and right and uh, all this stuff. And I hope listeners out there enjoyed it and I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Take care.